following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. That's how we begin services here. Boy, Heath asked me, uh, I'm way back here. I'm not as tall. Keith asked me, I think Tuesday, if I would bring our little devotional this morning with you all. And I said, sure. You know, I like to talk to you. And uh, so immediately I prayed and I, I, got, I got the whole stage to myself. Say whatever I want, right? Boy. So I asked the Lord, what, what should we talk about? Boy, I thought of story of Elijah and, you know, some other some neat things I'd read in the Old Testament and a study I'd been doing on, on a Jewish prayer and how God used that in the Bible and nothing. God didn't tell me anything. And I asked him on Wednesday, what should we talk about? And uh, nothing. So I figured the Lord wanted us to continue in Philippians. And um, I have to tell you, Philippians has been a huge blessing for me. And I, I glanced at where we are. And at first, nothing like leaped off the page for me right off the bat. I'm like, boy. Starts off with kind of a hard verse that some people struggle with. But we're going to tackle it. And it turns out it's going to be a wonderful blessing. It was a huge blessing to me. And I hope it encourages you in your hearts. But before we begin, let's talk to the Lord and... Um, Let's submit our time together to him. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning and my family here. And I thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this little tiny book of Philippians and how you've been speaking to my heart in it. Father, I can't even understand what it's saying to me except that you reveal it. Lord, would you please open our hearts to hear your voice this morning. Reveal to us things about yourself that you want us to know and embrace. And I just ask, Father, for your guidance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you would, turn in your Bibles over to the book of Philippians. To, We're going to start off at the very end of chapter 1. We're going to do a little, uh, we'll call it review, and get the uh, context where we are this morning. Philippians 1, 27 is where we're going to start. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So we're going to take a look in this little section um, verse, between verse 12 and verse 18 this morning. book of Philippians is um, a special book. It's, I think it's Paul's most personal book. You know, and we have a lot of uh, sayings or ver verse fragments that we remember that he said in the book of Philippians. But he really reveals his heart. It's in the book of Philippians where he says, be anxious for nothing. And we love to say that. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. But earlier in the book, he talks about how he had anxiety 
because his friend was sick. And he opens up his heart to us. Paul's sitting in, in a Roman prison with a death sentence hanging over his head. And he has no idea which way it's going to go. And he's writing a letter to these folks that he's, he loves and he expresses it early in the book. Right off in, in verse 3, he says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. In verse 8, he says, I yearn for you all. In verse 9, he says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And he speaks as a father to this little church. The, right here in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Just like a dad dropping off his kid for school, or you take him... It's going to go to spend the night at the neighbor's. Now, just because you're not at mom and dad's, you've got to act like mom and dad are here. And Paul knows that he's facing death. He could be leaving this earth. And these are like his children. He loves them, and he's potentially going to be gone. And he won't be there to write these letters. And he feels like a parent, like he won't be there, you know, to hold them accountable. So he speaks this message to them, and it's all coming right from his heart, like the heart of a dad. He starts off on this little admonition, this little section, and he says a strange thing, at least to us in English. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that little phrase stopped me. I've wrestled with that before. You know, I um, I think I have it in my tablet. I went on, and I punched in that phrase on the internet, you know, and I saw a uh, chat group discussion, a Bible discussion group, and I read some I would say sad views on this. Folks looking at it, like, how can I work out my own salvation? And, and you know, and how can I have eternal security based on this little verse here? And the problem with the ones that were vexed by it was they weren't looking at the whole of Scripture. They didn't shine the broad light of the whole passage. And that's one of the keys here. In Philippians, in this passage, Paul uses different Greek words. There's three different words for the word that's translated into English as work. Work out your own salvation. This word work doesn't mean um, to accomplish it by yourself. It means to bring to fullness, bring it to its completion. Carry your salvation out to the fullness of it, the completion of it, to its end. See, when in your life you come to the point where you decide that you're willing to submit your heart to the Lord and accept God's gift of salvation and accept His gift of forgiveness and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be, I want to be one of your children. God accepts you into His family and you become one of His children. And we, we refer to that as salvation. You're saved from the effects of sin. And it's not, but salvation is not a static event. 
It's not like um, a graduation ceremony, and you have your graduation ceremony, and that's it. And now you're a graduate. Congratulations. It's not a static event. Salvation is not static. It's a dynamic change in your life that should result in a change in your behavior. You understand? Salvation, the moment that you become one of God's children, it's not a static thing. It's not supposed to be. It's dynamic. It's a dynamic event. And it, and it changes your position. It changes who you are. And we see it in your behavior. And this is what Paul's talking about. Work out your salvation. Bring your salvation to, the, to its fullest end. Behave like you're one of God's kids. But then he throws in this ominous phrase, with fear and trembling. What is with that? Fear and trembling. Why would he say that? Just that little phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a powerful statement. Well, with the little with fear and trembling is an expression. We see it over in Ephesians. Um, he uses it in, I believe, Ephesians chapter 6 in reference to um, bond servants. Ephesians 6, 5, he says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, he wasn't talking about living in abject fear of your the one whom you're working for and and then you're shaken when you're standing before him and, you know, that's not what he's talking about. It's an expression that you're paying homage to, um, giving the respect due to a one who is much greater than yourself, a one who is a position much greater than yourself. This would be um, like the picture maybe of a subject going before his king. And that's what Paul's, the picture he's painting. Work out your salvation. Carry your salvation through to its fullest fullness. Remembering who it is that you're working for. I paraphrased it. This is my paraphrase. Carry out your salvation to its full completion through your actions, mindful of the king whose subject you are. Which brought me to a, a little point that spoke to me in here. How do we see Jesus? Do we see him as the king? How do we view him in our lives? How does he appear to me when I say the name of Jesus and I think about him? Who is he to me? You know, um, in our popular Christian culture, Jesus, for the most part, lives as he did in the Gospels. The guy with the sandals and the robe, and he walked the dusty road, and he washed the disciples' feet, and he gave us this wonderful example. And he's our buddy. He's our friend. And in our today's culture... He chuckles and shakes his head when we use poor language. He looks the other way when we sin the little sins. And then today, 
We even catch Jesus in technicalities. We catch him. He didn't see it coming. Technically, that wasn't a lie. It wasn't a lie, because technically, it wasn't a lie. And the Lord up in heaven just goes, ah, you got me. But that's oftentimes how we see it. Or, listen, I'm going to say we. I have seen the Lord that way. Technically, it wasn't a lie. Technically, this is not technically a sin. Technically. Because, you know, I'm pretty good with this. And I can, you know, the Lord didn't say, the, you know, thus and so. But that's not the Jesus in the Bible. That's not the Jesus here. I'm going to say something to you, which to me sounded shocking, I guess. So you ready? Jesus will never again wash feet. Jesus will never kneel down and wash your feet. Never happen again. We just read it. He came here and took on the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. He took it upon him to be a form of a servant. Where is he now? He doesn't, ha- yeah, he doesn't have a towel around his waist and a basin of water. He's on the throne. Now, yes, he is our brother in our humanness. The book of Hebrews speaks to it. We have this great high priest who's familiar with all of our weaknesses. He's been sick. He's been here. He's been made fun of. His whole family turned their back on him. His friends bailed out on him. He was poor. He lived on the street. He was homeless. He had nothing to eat. He's been there. He did it for us. But he died and he rose again and he's seated on the throne. And that's who he is now. And I think, to a degree, our popular culture or, you know, we've gone from maybe years ago, the staunch, strict Baptist background, and I grew up as a three-piece suit and tie. I mean, taking the offering was an event. And we walked and stepped, you know, and nobody smiled. And, you know, it was a very somber event going to church. And look at us, you know come here as God's family and we've kind of changed and our culture to some to some degree our culture brought Jesus down off of his throne yes he's our approachable savior yes he carries our sins yes he knows you're made of dust yes he wants to hear from you yes he holds your hand so that if you stumble you won't be cast headlong but there's a paradox because the one who's holding your hand is the majesty on high who sits on the throne in heaven. And Paul touches on that. That's why we backed up a little bit, just a little bit here in our text. We're going to look at um, a view of Jesus from a guy who saw him as he is now. If you get out your Bibles and turn over to Revelation... Revelation. We're going to read two pas- two, chap- two passages in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. It's the last book in the Bible. Chapter 1, verse 12. And this book is, this is written by John. John saw the Lord in heaven. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning... I saw seven golden lampstands, 
And in the midst of these lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Listen to what John says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Revelation 19, almost at the very end, two chapters from the end of the book. Revelation 19, a little passage, verse 11. Same, right, John says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that same King of kings and that same Lord of lords came here. And he knelt in the dirt in the garden. The dirt that he designed and he made. And that garden he designed and he made. And God of heaven knelt in the dirt. And sweated drops of blood. And he let them carry him away. Peter lashed out in defense. He says, don't you know I could call 10,000 angels? Don't you know? And he was killed for us the God of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to whom all glory and honor is due. That's the Jesus Paul is talking about. That's the Jesus he had just referred to before we got to our little section there. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the king. That's what Paul's saying. Work out your salvation. You're one of God's kids. Act like it. I'm a child of the king. Who do you work for? I work for the almighty God, the God of heaven and earth. This is what Paul's saying. Who are you, church? Child of the king. Who do you work for? I work for the king. Well, what do we do for the king? What do we do? This 
Mrs. Buchanan did? No. Right? We're going to get to do all things without running a complaint. That's right, it's in my notes. Yes. <laughs> so this the phrase, after I spent time thinking about it, in light of God of eternity, it was scary to me. Well, because I fall so short. I'm a grumbler, and I'm, we haven't got to yet. I'm a grumbler. Stupid kids. Left all these dishes here. Dumb dandelions coming up my lawn. You know, car, stupid car, always breaking down. You know, this. I have so many opportunities to complain, and it's a struggle. I fall so short. I mean, yesterday I didn't talk nice to my wife. You know, tone of voice, whatever. Wrong. How can I possibly live a life that's worthy of the king of heaven and earth who knelt in the garden, who walked and was crucified, and how could I do it? Well, there's a little word here that gives me such great encouragement, and it's my favorite little word in verse 13. The very first word says for. And in English, that doesn't mean anything. We say the word for all the time. This little word for is the same little word that's used in Romans 8, 28 and 29, right between them. It's the Greek word gar. Gar. Gar means, and this is the reason why. It's used in an argument or in an explanation or in an intensification. It assigns a reason to something, a purpose for something. It's really a big word, even though there's only three letters, gar, for. For it is God who works in you. God that works in us. It's not entirely up to me. How am I going to monitor all my speech, and how am I going to possibly monitor all my behavior? It's hard for me to stand outside myself and see myself and what my voice sounds like to my kids, and what my voice sounds like to my wife. It's hard. Like, I have to work at it. But God, for God, works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will, to give us the attitude, the drive, the desire to do what is right. God supplies that. It's not up to us. It's not up to me. God brings that into my heart. And, and he says to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word there that's translated work is energeo. We get energy from. The word energy. God supplies me the will, the heart, the attitude, and he supplies me the energy. What a wonderful heavenly father. He gives me a mission and then he gives me the energy and the will to do it. That's a tremendous blessing. So now we have God giving us the will and the energy. And we're God's kids. And we're supposed to act like God's kids. And we're supposed to act like we're serving the king. Well, what are we supposed to do? 
verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why did he say all? To make it easy for us. It's true. To make it easy for us. All things. What things? Dirty diapers. Dirty diapers. Dishes. Work. Going to work. Long day. Terrible boss. Co-worker that is so annoying. Just a thorn in your side. Homework. Homework. Extracurricular stuff. Paying the bills. Taking out the trash. Putting up with people like me. All things. I love this little section because, you know, sometimes we read and and, um, we've been talking about having love and unity together as a family. And it's so, it's wonderful and it takes time to play out and and you can't like hold it in your hands like right off the bat and, and and we see it played out in our family on a large scale but this passage you can hold on to with your hands I can do this today I can go home and act like I'm God's kid today and not grumble and complain because there was two dirty towels on the floor in the bathroom I can act like God's kid. I can act like I'm serving the king when I'm out in public. I can act like I'm serving the majesty on high today and tomorrow, Monday, and on Tuesday. And let me tell you, I'm going to have a lot of opportunities because things are going to come up and things are going to go wrong and things are going to be irritating and I'm going to be tired some days and not have slept good at night. But it's God. He works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure is such a wonderful encouragement to me. Who are you? Who are you? Are God's children? We're God's children. Who do you serve? We serve the king. And he supplies the will and the energy to, to go out and behave like it. It's a wonderful thing. Recently, um, uh, Carrie and I were talking, and I forget what we were talking about. Sorry, honey. But I remember part of what she said, because it really struck me. She said something that, about something that had gone on, and she said she was going to run it through the God filter. This is the God filter. I've been thinking about it ever since she said that. Run it through the God filter first. This is our God filter. This is my God filter. Who am I? And who am I working for? Right? Change my behavior. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted or perverse generation Have you guys turned on the TV? I don't have television, but I have the Internet. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's stuff 
I think that if we had seen this stuff 20, 30 years ago, we would have just had all had heart attacks. What's going on? Twisted, perverse. I mean, I was even getting a sub the other day with my wife, and I heard people in line talking about how there's no morality anymore. And that, that kids coming out, that's the kids at school, I don't know who they were talking about because I was kind of eavesdropping. They didn't have a sense, a moral sense of right and wrong. It was all subject to their whims or circumstance. That's where we're at. But if we act like God's kids, and we act like we're serving the king, if I act like it, we're going to shine as lights in the world. What, what is the point? Remember talking about that? Our little family here, my little family at home, and me, when I'm out and about, the way I live my life, the way God works through me, and I accept the will that he gives, and I accept the energy that he gives to act like his kid, is evidence, it's proof, it's evidence of God, that he's real, that this isn't a religion. We don't come here to spend a half hour or an hour or an hour and a half doing our little duty so we can all go home today and then we'll do it again next week. You know, in 20 years, 30 years from now, I said, well, I've been going to church all my life. It's not what we're here for. We're God's family and we're God's people. And when this outside world here, they don't know them yet. But, you know, they see all this religion all over the place. Religion is on the news every single day. But they'll notice when we act like God's kids, and it's proof that he's real and he's alive and he loves us. And the majesty on high clothed himself in flesh, walked this earth, and died for us. And not only did he die for us, but he empowers us to live like his kids. And lastly... Paul closes this section just like a dad. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst, in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life that's our Bible. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud, Paul says, just like a daddy, that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. He's talking about death. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Just like a dad. I want to be proud, he says to the Philippians. Make me proud. Make me proud. Paul has a death sentence on his head. He's in prison. He can't get out. They may kill him. And let me tell you, the Romans are famous for horrendous ways to dispatch people. He doesn't know what he's going to he might get off easy with just getting beheaded. He might not. He doesn't know what he's facing. Can you imagine going to bed at night not knowing tomorrow you may be tortured? You don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow. And you're writing a letter to your kids. And you're telling them 
what's important to you, what's really important. That's the book of Philippians. He doesn't have any time left. He's speaking to us today. We ask him to make him proud because he could be he could be dead tomorrow. But listen, hear what he's saying between the lines. That I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He uses words that you use in a sporting event. I think Paul was a sports fan. He often uses words about boxing or running, running a race. He says, make me proud that I ran the race and I labored. He's a dad coach. He's going, come on, church. Whose kids are you? God's kids. Who do you serve, kids? We serve the majesty on high. Who empowers you? The Lord Jesus Christ empowers us. He gives us the will and the energy to work for his good pleasure. And Paul says in these last words, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Even if I die, it's worth it. When you see uh, the Boston Marathon, you know, and all the runners are gathered, you will never see an interview at the beginning of the race and say, and they'll hold the microphone up to the person and they'll say, so, is it worth it to run the 26 miles? Is it worth it? They haven't run yet. They don't stop in the midpoint of the race to the ones that gave out and say, was it worth it? Was it wor- Tell me your thoughts. Was it worth it? They didn't even finish. It's the ones at the end of the race that have the, the credibility to say it was worth it. This man, Paul was a man, this man who wrote this letter has been beaten and whipped, scourged, shipwrecked, left for dead, ostracized, poor, without food, imprisoned, He bears the scars of his service to Jesus on his body, disfigured. And he says, rotting in a Roman prison, with no nice, shiny, stainless toilet, no yard privileges, no free college, no work detail to get out on and enjoy the sunshine. He's rotting in a Roman prison. He says, church, it's worth it worth it. Whose kids are you? Whose kids am I? I'm God's kid. Who am I working for? King of, King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want you to remind me. Let's remind each other when it gets hard and things are difficult and life is going upside down. When we get down, let's remind each other who we are who we serve, and it's worth it. And he's with us, and he empowers us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you, O Lord, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the majesty on high, had love that was so great there is no way that we could possibly fathom the depth of your love as you chose to come here and veil yourself in human flesh and take on the form of a servant and live 
and give us this wonderful example of how we should live. I praise you, Lord, that you went to the cross and you died and you paid for all of our sin. And not only that, but you are with us. You said you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That you'll give us the will that we need to walk with you. You'll give us the energy and the power that we need when we're running low and we're running out and we just realize we just can't do it. We can't. Without you, I thank you so much for your great love. I thank you that you made us your children. You gave us the right to be called the children of God. We are a chosen generation. You said that we're a royal priesthood. Your own special people so that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Once we weren't a people, but now we're the people of God. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.